In his 89 years on earth, Glenn Scotty Wolf married 29 times, setting the world record for most monogamous marriages. He died married to his last wife, Linda Essex Wolf, the world's most married woman with 23 husbands. That last marriage was a pub- publicity stint. Uh, his shortest marriage lasted 19 days, his longest 11 years. Mr. Wolf left one wife because she ate sunflower seeds in bed. He left another wife because she used his toothbrush. He had around 40 children at the time of his death. None of the 29 women he legally married came to his funeral. His occupation, he was a Baptist minister. How he got around our passage today I have no idea. Turn to Matthew 5. Today, Jesus lays out his kingdom ethic for marriage, his kingdom ethic for divorce, and we're also going to take a quick look at his kingdom ethic for oaths, our words, integrity. And while it's tempting to skip over such a passage, because it's challenging, talking about something like divorce in in a group where Uh, just in any church environment is challenging. We can't because we believe that all God's word is life transforming. We we believe that all of God's word is alive and active and, and can change our hearts. Yet I want to approach this issue uh, very sensitively. It's, it's easy to make fun of somebody like Scotty Wolf's serial monogamy, but for many divorce has caused you a lot of pain. Pretty much everybody in this room has experienced divorce some way or another, whether it's you've been through it, your parents, uh, your kids, uh, your brother and sister, or a good friend. You know the pain that comes when that bond is broken. So today, uh, as we've prayed multiple times, I pray that I speak with wisdom. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, an intro to kingdom ethics. He called us to be salt and light. He, he claimed to fulfill the law. He also talked about an inner heart-driven righteousness that was completely different and kind and greater than the external, heartless, pharisaical righteousness. And as we saw last week, he began to show us what this better righteousness looked like. He helped us understand that murder and adultery go down to a heart level with anger and and lust, which naturally led and leads to a conversation about marriage. Marriage. To fully understand our passage today, we need to define marriage (laughs) because it's getting redefined in our culture today. We need to define marriage. After woman was created, man said, yep. God, uh, <laughs> God declared in Genesis 2.24, this is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and the two become one flesh. Marriage was God's plan from the beginning. It was to represent, it was to be an image of his covenantal love for his children, his people. And God intended marriage to be monogamous and lifelong. This idea of bond, cleave, means there's a permanent attachment. Male and female are gorilla glued together. 
so close that two people become one unit forged by God and what God brings together, let no man separate. Yet, sin came into the world. And with that came divorce. Something God did not want, but allowed and regulated. Because of the hardness of man's heart to limit sin, to limit injustice. But by the time of Jesus' ministry, divorce was in vogue. It was popular. One commentator said it had attained epidemic proportions. Sound familiar? Into this, Jesus speaks. Look at verse 531. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This verse is a reference to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, where divorce is legislated. There was to be a certificate that relinquished the husband's legal claim on the wife and gave her freedom to remarry. And there was debate about this very Old Testament passage between two rabbinic schools. The conservative school said, divorce is required only in the case of sexual unfaithfulness. The other liberal group said, divorce is okay with really anything. If, if the husband doesn't like the way that the wife looks, if she burns his food, then he can offer her a certificate of divorce. And usually it was the husband doing it with the wife, although by the time the Pharisees come around and get a hold of this, they had a way for wives to apply pressure on the husband for a divorce. So they permitted man to divorce for any good cause. The conservative group said it's required when, when somebody has been unfaithful. What does Jesus say? Look at verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus says, this here and in Matthew 19, divorce and remarriage is permissible only when sexual immorality is involved. The term here is porneia. So we get the term porn from. But it's a very, very general uh, term. It's a broad term for, for sexual sin, which many try to limit to a specific meeting to kind of devalue what Jesus is commanding us here. They'll say, man, it's about, you know, people marrying too close in their family line. And, and that's bad. That sort of uh, you know, incestuous relationship is really what Jesus is talking about here. Or they're saying it's okay to divorce in the engagement period if you find out that your other has been unfaithful. But it's not talking about marriage here. Or they'll say it's uh, with, with prostitution. Or they'll say this. But I think he uses the term porneia because it's a general term that encompasses all these things under the umbrella of sexual infidelity. Unfaithfulness. Where there is an illegitimate divorce, when the original marriage covenant should not have been broken, it results in adultery when one remarries. Only with sexual infidelity, then is divorce permissible and remarriage possible. 
So with this statement, Jesus transcends both schools of thought. Jesus never commands divorce as the conservative school did, but only permits it if all attempts at reconciliation have failed. He recognizes that adultery has undermined one of the most fundamental elements of marriage, exclusivity. Intimacy and exclusivity. He transcends the liberal school that essentially had a no-fault, easy divorce policy. Now, Jesus isn't preoccupied by divorce like we are and the Pharisees are. We tend to come to God's word, struggling in our marriage at times, and go, when is it okay to get a divorce? (laughs) Give me permission, please. Jesus isn't as preoccupied with divorce as he he is as much with upholding the the institution and the commitment of, of marriage. In a culture where some viewed marriage as something you could easily throw away or something that you had to throw away, he is saying things like divorce are not kingdom-esque. Kingdom citizens are committed to marriage. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Give you time to write it down. Kingdom citizens are committed to marriage. Kingdom citizens, they fight for their marriages. And only in the rarest of circumstances should divorce be an option. Moment of truth. Marriage is hard. And there is much that threatens your oneness with your spouse. If you're discontent with life, you will want out of your marriage. You'll blame your partner. You just don't like your spouse. They're not who I originally married. You've changed. Guess what? People change. We want out. Or if you go through a hard season of life and you're not on the same page with your partner, guess what? Divorce becomes a more viable option in your heart and mind. We're not going through this together. We're not on the same team. We're not on the same page. Why even do this? In seminary, when talking about marriage, there was a young, probably early 20s couple sitting in front of us. They were engaged, not married yet. Way too much PDA. I mean, like every class period, just getting sick of watching them. And, and, and we were talking about marriage, and she'd be like caressing his neck and stuff. I had to move to the back of it because I was like getting angry at it. And, and, and one uh, day we were talking about marriage. They said, we are sick and tired. We're about to get married, and we are sick and tired of people telling us how hard marriage is going to be. <laughs> and that's what every marriage, married person in the room did. <laughs> every married person was, I mean, it's this idea that if you love Jesus enough, everything will just work out. Marriage will be easy. And, and you know, all the married people in the room, men and women, we snicker. Because marriage is, is hard. Marriage is is difficult. Marriage can be beautiful. It can be full of joy. It can be fun. But it's hard. So we need to fight for our marriages. We need to fight for oneness. Jesus is upholding marriage. He's elevating marriage. He says fight for oneness. That means date. Date. 
Take your wife out. Communicate with each other. Serve each other. You know, my wife is not big on flowers. I got her flowers for Valentine's Day. She likes candy. That means get her some Sour Patch Kids. If you're struggling in your marriage, stop pretending like everything is okay. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a counselor. Talk to an elder. Somebody that can speak into your marriage and, and, and speak into it. Biblical principles and, and the gospel, which, which brings me to the most important part of all of this. Build your marriage on the gospel. Build your marriage on the gospel principles of mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. If there is sexual infidelity that has undermined the foundation of marriage, divorce can be considered. But considered is not the same as required. I have seen with my own eyes marriages come back from the brink. Have come back from infidelity. When a wounded partner shows radical grace, is it easy? Absolutely not. It's hard. But it's a picture of what God does regularly for you and me. We cheat. <laughs> we turn we rebel, yet what does he do? He forgives, he remains faithful. Jesus wants kingdom citizens to know that marriage is a, a sacred commitment, not something that is easily thrown away. We don't just get to get out. When things are hard or challenging, it's not what you committed to, it's not what God calls us to. Now, with that said, we do need to talk about the fun topic of divorce a bit more. <laughs> we are given one more situation in all of Scripture where God may permit divorce. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Therefore, we can conclude that divorce is biblically permissible on two grounds sexual infidelity, and the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. So if you're a believer in Christ, you're doing everything you can to try to reconcile the marriage, and your spouse who does not yet know Jesus runs away, you've attempted to make things work, and there's probably a, a period of time where you've let that happen, you are, you are not enslaved. God gives permission in, in, in that to, to potentially seek divorce. Again, not required, but considered. Now, I know every single person in this room is thinking, well, what about other, these other terrible scenarios? Like, what about abuse? What about a husband who, who beats his wife? Or a spouse who is so strung out on drugs that they're no longer parenting, they're no longer there, they're no longer functional, they're hurting themselves and others. What about a, a spouse who's gambling away all of the family's money, who's gambling away? Like, all, like, what about all these terrible scenarios? You know, I'm hesitant, to be honest, to expand on the permissions given in the Bible because we live in a society where the parachute is always packed. <laughs> Yet, and I, and I want you to hear me, I can envision certain situations where elders may conclude 
the horrific actions of an unrepentant, unwilling to reconcile partner are on par with abandonment. It'd be similar to the abandonment that Jesus is talking about. A husband who's continually physically abusive with his life, you have to ask the question, does he really know Jesus? That's why every case of potential divorce needs to be dealt with differently and with church leaders who will use biblical principles to speak into these deeply painful scenarios. Don't make the decision to separate or get a divorce on your own. One last thing, there's grace. There's forgiveness to Christ if you've fallen short in this arena. Grace abounds for the repentant sinner. If you've been divorced on grounds that would be illegitimate, biblically, and remarried, I'm not telling you to get another divorce. (laughs) Don't commit more sin to fix sin. Resume and try to resume relations with the previous spouse. I'd encourage you to repent and begin anew observing God's standards by remaining faithful to your current spouse. If you have been divorced as believers, it's been illegitimate and you're not yet married, maybe open your heart to what God can do. In this section, Jesus sets a high standard for marriage. He also sets a high standard for speech. And it seems like an abrupt change here. But look at 5.33 again. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is a summary of several passages in the Old Testament. Many people would invoke the name of God when they were making a promise. So it was bringing God in as a witness. God is here. I'm making a promise to you. God's here. He's witnessing me make this promise. Therefore, this promise is going to be more binding. I'm not going to break this promise easily. Discourage breaking that oath. And not all oaths were or are bad. You may need to take an oath in a court of law. (laughs) You can't just be like, nope, not going to do that. So what is Jesus talking about here? Look at 34 and 36. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. As normal, the Pharisees misused oath-taking. They viewed swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, or by your own head as less binding than swearing by God. As a kid, if you wanted to make a promise to your friend that you didn't plan on keeping, what would you do with your fingers? Cross them. Put them behind your back. (laughs) It's less binding now. That's the law. As a Pharisee, you you would swear on something other than God. But Jesus is saying all of these things belong to God. Earth, his. Jerusalem, his. You, your head, belongs to him. And so Jesus says this in 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He says, avoid these types of oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I want you to hear me. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We are to be honest with our words. We are to take responsibility for what we say. Our yes is to be our yes in our business dealings with our taxes, with our children, with our teachers, with our friends, with our parents. Our words should hold weight. Kingdom citizens are to be committed to marriage and integrity. Don't be a liar. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. That's not kingdom-esque either. Commit to your marriage. Commit to honesty and integrity. Now, these passages seem very, very unrelated, and they may be. But I see one way in which we can tie these passages together. Jesus wants us to take marriage seriously. He wants our words to hold weight for our yes to to mean yes. I was married to Megan on May 19th, 2006 in Lenexa, Kansas. We both (laughs) love Jesus. That's what really drew us together. It wasn't my looks. We both love Jesus. We wanted to be in ministry together. And we, we couldn't wait to, to start our life. And we were in this old Baptist sort of chapel. And I remember the doors opening up in the back and, 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 and music hitting. And my wife really doesn't look that much different than she does now. And, and I just remember being the same way Adam was when he saw Eve. Yep. <laughs> remember walking down the aisle with her dad. I remember her being handed off to me and us holding hands for the rest of the service. And, and a lot of what happened after was a blur. <laughs> Worship, music, lighting candles. And then came our vows. Will you, Larry, love this woman? Will you commit to serve her? Will you commit to be faithful to her through the thick and the thin of life? Will you love her as Christ loves the church? And I said, yes. Yes. Will you, Megan, (laughs) respect and honor and love your husband as the church does Christ? Will you be with him through through thick and thin? Will Will you love him and care for him for better or for worse? And she said, yes. And every single day, from then till now, it's been, it's been 6,121 days today. Each day is an opportunity for me to keep my word. And there are days when I fail. But with God's help, I'm going to fight every day to keep my word so our marriage will reflect God's love. Husbands are to say yes to loving their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And he says this love is reciprocated as wives say yes to loving, respecting, and honoring their husbands. Kingdom citizens are committed to marriage and committed to upholding the truth of their words in marriage 
and in all of life. Amen? Let's pray.